Choir directors are creative, resourceful, dedicated, and sometimes completely out of ideas. Not to worry, the Choir Ninja Podcast is here with solutions you never saw coming. Get ready for some training, wisdom, and inspiration from the masters. Let Ryan Guth guide your journey to becoming a Choir Ninja. Today's episode is brought to you by SightReadingFactory.com. Do you hate teaching sight singing? Do you have a carbon footprint the size of Sasquatch because you run off endless sheets of sight singing examples only to hear your students groan in agony when it's time to sight sing in rehearsal? SightReadingFactory.com is a web-based tool that will compose custom sight reading examples based on specifications that you choose. Your choir will actually enjoy sight singing, and so will you. Plus, you will get back hours of your life and finally feel like the choir ninja you were destined to be. If that isn't cool enough, you can add student accounts that link directly to your teacher dashboard so your kids can practice or even take recorded assessments from home. As a sponsor of this show, SightReadingFactory.com has an exclusive deal just for you, Choir Nation. When you purchase their insanely affordable one-year subscription, you will unlock 10 free student accounts just for using the promo code NINJA at checkout. That's Ninja, N-I-N-J-A. So head over to SightReadingFactory.com. That's SightReadingFactory.com. And don't forget to use the promo code Ninja at checkout to unlock your 10 student accounts absolutely free. What's the best part about being a ninja? The gear. It's the nunchucks, the katanas, the throwing stars. It's the same for choir ninjas. The difference between an ordinary and a masterful performance may come down to your most basic and essential piece of equipment, your music folder. My Music Folders creates a superior product, and they do it with a smile. And because they are friends of the podcast, they have a killer deal for you right now. Get the bulk purchase price break without having to buy in bulk. So whether you have to restock your entire classroom or you just need to replace a few folders, you will get the best possible pricing on the best possible product. So like a ninja, sneak on over to MyMusicFolders.com and use the code NINJA when you check out. Hey there, Choir Nation. This is Ryan Guth with the Choir Ninja Podcast, and I am thrilled to have with me today J.D. Frizzell, and he is from Briarcrest, One Voice. Uh, that is what he's known for now, as well as an upcoming publication, an upcoming professional uh, acapella group, and much more that I'm sure J.D. Will, will tell you about. So thanks, J.D., for joining me today on the Choir Ninja Podcast. Thanks for having me, Ryan. I'm really excited about it. So I got that right. You direct Briarcrest One Voice, right, which is a a acapella group out of a Christian private school, right? Yes, that's correct. It's a Briarcrest Christian School. Uh, it's about sixteen hundred and fifty students, K through twelve, outside of Memphis, Tennessee. Okay, and that school has not only this great ensemble that has has gotten lots of recognition, but a pretty well-rounded choral program as well. Uh, yes, that's correct. Um, we have almost 400 singers, uh, K through 12 at our school. And, uh, you know, we, we do everything from, you know, madrigals to major works with orchestra to pops concerts to contemporary acapella. 
So tell me a little bit about the structure of the program. Do you direct all of the vocal ensembles or just the high school level? How does that work? I just do the high school ensembles, and then I work with some amazing people who teach the middle and elementary school levels. Okay, and how many ensembles are, are there? And, and uh, tell me a little bit about how you got into the acapella scene as well. Sure. So um, we have three elementary choirs. There's a junior choir, uh, first and second graders, about 40 or 50 of those. And then there's a main choir, third through fifth grade. We have about 100 students in that choir. And then we have a select group of fourth and fifth graders, um, and there are about 25 in that group. And then at the middle school, uh, we have a sixth, seventh, and eighth grade choir. And then we have a select ensemble um, from those as well. And then at the high school, we have a mixed beginning choir, uh, mostly ninth graders. And then we have an advanced, it's called a chamber choir, but it's not. Uh, and it has about 50 students in it and then one voice. Um, all the one voice students are required to be, have made and be in the chamber choir. And so I see them twice a day, which is awesome. Uh, we have seven periods and the seventh period is often one that people use for you know, work release or interns or internships, things like that. And um, so it's great that a lot of them have that free. So I see them twice a day, which I love. Uh, you asked how I got into contemporary acapella. Well, um, One Voice was my first contemporary acapella thing, um, period. And I say that not to brag, but I say that as an, uh, an encouragement if there are people out there listening who want to do contemporary acapella, but think, you know, well, I've never done it, so I can't do it. Um, it's not true at all. And hopefully through this interview and other things that uh, we provide the listeners, that they'll be able to see that, you know, there are, it's basically what we do on a daily basis in our choirs with just some adjustments and, you know, different things that we have to bring to the table and deal with, like vocal percussion, you know, uh, and we'll talk about that, I'm sure, later. But um, so I started with uh, One Voice. They were a vocal jazz group at first because that's what I knew. And we did, uh, I mean, we, we dove in head first. That's pretty much the only way I know. And uh, just the brief amount of time I've talked to you, you understand that pretty well. Um, there's only one speed and it's like as fast as humanly possible. Um, so, you know, within a year or two, we... Uh, with the vocal jazz group, we were doing um, a concert with New York Voices, and um, they were singing you know, Take Six charts, and it was really cool, and people liked it, uh, and it was a great compliment to the choral program. The thing that I didn't see happening from that was I didn't see this like giant galvanization of the audience, or you know, the audience being fellow students, the audience being you know the general community. Uh, here in Memphis, you know, vocal jazz is just not a big thing here. Jazz music is just not a big thing here. Um, you know, Memphis is is the blues city, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so if it were blues, it'd be a bit different story. But you know, jazz just wasn't connecting. And so you know, thinking, okay, what can I do? And one of my friends encouraged me. He's like, look, this acapella thing is gonna be big. Trust me, you got to try it. And I was like, ah. Oh. I don't know. I don't know about that beatboxing stuff. It's, and I don't know. It just seems kind of lame. I, I don't know. I, I don't like it. And he kept pushing on me. You know, you got to try it. You got to try it. So we did one of these songs from you know, Deke Sharon, who's considered the godfather of contemporary acapella. He has these songbooks um, for a long time that were like the only thing you could get for music. 
And we did an arrangement, actually, that he co-authored with a guy named Robert Dietz, who now does most of our arrangements for One Voice. Uh, Robert Dietz, he did an arrangement of She Will Be Loved, Maroon 5, right? Everybody knows that song. And we sang it at the middle school. And Ryan, it was like the school exploded hmm. from the inside out, from the middle school gym. The two boys that sang the solos were instantly the most popular kids in school. And, um, man, it just it took off from there. I, I saw the potential of doing music that was hard. I mean, it's hard to do six, eight, ten, twelve part acapella singing. Sure. Um, you know, we know that as choral directors. But they were they were doing it and they were doing it well because they they connect with the material really easily and the audience does too. So there's incentive to do it well. Um, do you find that the they want to go part. home and practice? Oh my gosh. They <laughs> way more than anything else. I mean I I feel good about where my choirs are in terms of their preparation and, and their work ethic and you know they sing really well they they consistently get you know great ratings and everything but um the kids aren't going home and practicing every night um you know they're not like oh man there's that one passage in the mendelssohn that's just awesome like i've got to i've got to get it i've got to get it they're, right yeah you know, mom listen not, to my duraflay yeah that doesn't yeah really exactly i mean it's just it's not a thing and it's not like a fault of anyone's. I'm sure there are students who do that in my program and in yours and others, but they're the the exception, right? Sure. The thing I found with the acapella group is that they all want to practice all the time. And it's not just one voice. It's every acapella group I've worked with, you know, things like camp acapella, which I'm going to uh, this coming week, um, any guest groups that I go in and work with, anytime I'm, I'm an, allowed to establish a workflow, uh, where they're actually learning notes and rhythms for the first time, they practice like you've never seen before. And it's not just, I want to get the notes and rhythms right. The magic is that they want to get whatever you've outlined, as long as you have a clear vision and you've taught them what they need to be doing, they want to get the articulations right. They want to mm -hmm. get the phrasing right. They want to get the dynamics right. And that has been the transformative element technically for our choral program has been that those 12 singers who are in one voice are also in the regular choir every day. And they're pushing the level of musicianship, not only for themselves on a daily basis, but they're doing that for the students around them, who of course all want to be in one voice as well. So they'll do whatever they see everyone else doing. So that, that's been really powerful. Okay, so I, I do want to get into eventually like what it takes to have an acapella group and, and if you're maybe if you're interested in starting one in the next school year, what what's what's gonna that's gonna entail. But what I do wanna ask first, while we're kind of on this how one voice fits into your whole program, um, first of all, how does one voice fit into your whole program from the respect of the other kids that are not in one voice? Like I have a real I would have a real worry that if not handled properly, you'd have students that are like, ugh, those one voice kids, you know, and resent not being in the group. And how, like, how do you deal with that from a culture standpoint to make sure that, you know, you don't have the uh, proverbial redheaded stepchild kids that are, that are like so concerned about the fact that they're not in the group and that maybe they'll never be in the group. And, oh, maybe, you know, Mr. Frizzell spends too much time with one voice and not enough time with us. Like, have you dealt with that? And if so, how do you deal with that? Or how do you avoid it altogether? 
That's a great question. Um, and it's really important. It's something I take really seriously. Um, the short answer is that you invest equal energy in the other ensemble. Um, and so all of the ensembles, um, you know, the ninth graders, mostly ninth graders who are in my concert choir, they love concert choir. I love concert choir. We have a blast in there. They learn a ton in there. Like for where they are, um, it is their one voice at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't change the fact that they all one day want to be in one voice, but I don't talk about one voice in there. I'm not like always like extolling the things that one voice are, is doing. Sure. Um, it's important to me that they view what we're doing in the classroom with their choir every single day as the most important thing. And for 50 minutes every day it is. Uh, so for me, a lot of that is just the way that I approach them. And if they understand that, A, they're important to me as a human being, which is number one, especially these days, um, teachers have to do that. And then in the ensemble setting, that can be difficult. if You have hundreds of kids every sure. day to to make sure they all know. But there are a lot of, of ways to do that. And, I'm, and I've heard some of your previous um, guests talk about that quite a bit, but um, you have to do that, and then you just can't let it overshadow. And that's hard because, um, you know, over the years, One Voice has accomplished a lot, but it's not it's not to the detriment of the other groups. And I certainly don't ever bring those things up in the regular choir classroom. Um, you know, if anything, I would answer questions about auditions if they had you know questions about auditions coming up. Mm-hmm. But otherwise. Um, they know every day that one voice is a cool thing that I'm really engaged in, but they don't really care because number one, I make them the priority. And when they see me, I'm not paying attention to one voice, right? So they see that relationally between themselves and myself. And then you know, the second thing is with the people who are in one voice, um, I work really carefully to ensure that they are humble sure. and kind and um, open and accessible and, you know, that they don't put off an air of superiority or anything like that. Have you ever had to discipline a member of the ensemble for not keeping that in mind? Sure. Of course. I mean, they're, they're teenagers, well, right? Well, absolutely. <laughs> but like, <laughs> a lot what, of what, what does that discussion do sound like? Yeah. So, um, a lot of times it's, a simple, hopefully like early correction. This is like my same philosophy with fixing notes and rhythms, but like early correction is way easier than late correction. So, um, almost always when this has happened, it's a a conversation like, Hey, you know, you are really important to this program and a lot of people look up to you. Right. And they want to be where you are. So you need to show them with the way that you act, that you not only respect the position that you've been, you know, granted, um, but you need to show them what it took you to get there. And that means having a good attitude. And that means being kind to people and setting a good example in the, in, you know, in the classroom. Um, and variants of that conversation, um, have worked. Um, sometimes you have to be more specific, you know, if somebody's got, you know, a diva and mm-hmm. you have to sort of like squelch the diva which that happens we've all had them we all will continue to have them um they they see that it comes from us i know you're a big proponent of this like anything that we see in our singers we are responsible for sure first and foremost so if there's a very nice way to put it jd (laughs) yeah if if there's 
I mean, yeah, there are other ways to, that you could say it, and you have said it, and it's great. I mean, all the all those things are true, right? Yeah. Um, if your choir sucks, you suck, you know, whatever. Like, that kind of stuff. Um, it, it, it all comes back to that same philosophy that we as the choral director have an, an enormous amount of responsibility and power in what we're doing, and we have to take that really seriously, and that comes from more than just the way that we approach the musical rehearsal. It comes... Uh, back to the way that we approach our our interpersonal relationships and our leadership. I would be horrified because I had a show choir before, and I'm I'm not a huge proponent of show choir, and it's just not for me personally. Yeah. But um, and I, but I know it works for for people all over the country, so I'm not going to knock it. Um, but I'm scared of parents when it comes to like show choir or acapella because I feel like it attracts a different type of parent like more because i believe me i i was i ran a musical theater program for many years so i'm kind of um the parents can sometimes be more difficult than the children um, sometimes <laughs> yeah i'm being nice okay jd um but but uh how do you enter in to a relationship with parents let's say of one voice and say you know your kids are going to get a lot of recognition um, and you know, you're going to feel real proud of them, but here's how, like, I need you to help me throughout the year. It's like, do you ever have a, do you have an orientation? Do you have something like that for, for one voice parents? Uh, so that, so that, um, you know, you don't get any, um, you don't have, you know, extra, extra difficulty with them. Yes. Um, so I love, I love the parents that I work with and I should say that because, could seem that I, I don't by my joke earlier. Um, you know, parents, I get it now. I have a seven-month-old child, and so I, I have a new perspective. Um, I don't understand having a teenager, but I now understand having my own child and the way that you want the best for them and want to protect them and whatever. Um, so that has helped me quite a bit over the past half year. I had um, no idea seven it, months had passed already, J.D. That's, that's insane. It's <laughs> amazing. I know, man. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> it's been the best thing ever, though. Um, but, you know, so I, I can put myself in, the, in their shoes. And so here, you know, here's what parents want. Um, parents want to know that you're in control. They want to know that you are competent, that you care about their child, and that you're going to lead them to success. Mm-hmm. And if they know those three things, they're going to most mostly leave you alone. Um, so that's the broad statement, right? That that is. Any t- wait, can we slow down for a yeah, second? What are ahead. those three things again? Because because this is this is something that I think needs to be like taken. Like notes need to be taken. What are these three things again? That you're <laughs> that you're you're oh, competent. Gosh. Yeah, so they, they, they need to know that you're um, that you're competent, mm-hmm. right? They need to know that you're in control, mm-hmm. and they need to know that you care. So I guess I could call it the three C's, and I literally just made that up. But it's those three things. Well, I think we have a, a and you're in, you're, you care and you're in control. We have a conference session coming up with uh, with JD on the three C's. I think coming up soon. We're gonna have to. <laughs> that's great. I mean, those are that's that's yeah. that's, that's brilliance, JD. Brilliance. Okay. Love well, it. thanks. So, but I mean that that is true, and, and I have um, through an endeavor that we don't have to get in today. I, I started a while ago called the Choir Coach. Um, I started it out of this desire to help choir teachers because we get in our own bubbles. We are our worst enemy because no one watches what we do, and we're really as a profession. You know, we may go to ACDA, we may go to our state um, NAFME conferences, but 
we're not really in general very open to people being a part of our process, like our daily rehearsal and watching what we do and improving sure. that. Um, and so that's that's what I had started with that. But I noticed as I started to watch different choir directors that I knew nothing about previously that all the issues that they had boiled down to one of those three things. You know, they described this issue they were having with a parent. And we'd come to the fact that, well, it's because the parent doesn't trust you because you've shown them through X, Y, Z that you're not in control of the situation, right? A lot of times with students, it's because instead of strengthening a weakness in our core uh, skills, we just plow through and kids see right through our weaknesses. I mean, if we, sh we, if we have them, they will find them and they will exploit them. Exploit them, yes. Right? Yeah, they will. So, you know, we have to be competent. And I mean, I know this is at the core of, of your podcast and your mission, you know, professionally. Um, and then, you know, they have to know that we care. And that's, sometimes that can be the hardest part because we're on a musical mission every day in the classroom. Like, I need to accomplish X, Y, Z so that tomorrow we can accomplish the next X, Y, Z. Um, and incorporating ways to show that you care about those students um, is is important. And and all of these things, like, you know, some of them are at the macro level and some of them are granular. The, the showing that you care is a simple change from um, sitting at your desk or behind the piano or immediately leaving after a rehearsal to like being accessible and hanging out and asking people about their weekend or, you know, what did you do over the Christmas break or whatever. It's, it's tiny, tiny little things that add up in the aggregate that show each kid that you care about them. And yeah. that's hard. But once you do it, like anything else, it's a habit. And then it's, of course, really rewarding because it's good to care about other people. Um, but you see that reward in the relationships that you have with your students as well. So those three things, um, going back to your initial question was, uh, you know, how can you ensure that parents, um, are a helpful part of the process? So the first thing is I show them that I'm in control, that I care, and that I'm competent. And once they have that, and, and at, at this point, you know, I've been doing this a while and students coming into like one voice. I mean, they pretty much know what they're getting into, but we do hold a meeting at the very beginning of the year where I outline not only like here are the things that we do, but also here's how we do them and here's why we do them those ways. And it's everything from the way that we approach solos, which are not auditioned, by the way. It's, it's a musical choice that the group um, makes to make the best music mm -hmm. um, to, you know, the, the choices of where do we go perform? Well, we have these priorities. You know, these are the filters through which we put every single gig request and we do the ones that have the most, that match the most of our priorities. And, um, you know, once the parents understand and they feel like they're with you and they feel like, you know, you are going to do all the things that I mentioned earlier, um, they're great. I mean, if they know that they can help on certain things and you make those things clear to them, they're happy to help on those things. And they're not going to worry about the 20,000 other parts of the job that are what you're trained in. They're going to let you do those things. Sure. The problem again comes, I'm sure you've seen it too. I've seen it in my own job. I'm speaking from my own experience as well. Um, when you show that there are parts of what you're doing that you're not handling well, they'll see it too. And just like the students, they will reach out because they care about their kid. 
and they're going to offer to help you or they're just going to step in and take something anyways, even Mm -hmm. if you don't ask them to. I mean, that is, at least in my limited experience, um, that is where the conflict happens when somebody comes in, you know, out of a need or a weakness and then they do something that's not the way that you would do it or there's a problem with it or they step on your toes or vice versa. Um, that's when the conflict with parents happen. Uh, it doesn't mean that you won't still have issues because we're all human beings and no one's perfect and we all make mistakes still. Uh, but I feel like you can avoid most of the problems that I've seen in the past if you do those things. I was so not expecting to go down this road at all, but I'm really glad that we did because um, it's it, it brings to light just a big picture thing. It's not what are the tools that you need, a little you know the individual little tools to be successful with with parents, because you know like how to write an email, this and that. It's really if you do these big picture things then you won't really need the band-aids, the tools to fix the problems because you won't really have the problems. That seems, I mean, that's, that's, what, those, right. that's what those three C's really are. I mean, it's, those are really the big picture things. Um, and as long as you keep those things in mind, then you'll probably have to use those tools that choral directors go to conferences to figure out a lot less. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, yes, you're exactly right. So, J.D., um, I want to... I want to end this episode right now, actually. And then I want to bring you back for part two. Okay. And because I think where you offer a lot of value is, you know, starting up an acapella group fresh, but we didn't quite get to it this episode. And I, and I do want to do that. So we're going to bring you back for part two on the next episode. Uh, so you can, you can help us discover what it really takes to be, um, a beginner acapella choir director, and um, what are some of the essential components um, that you need to have for that? So, uh, JD, would you be willing to come back for part two? I would love to. I'll talk to you soon. Okay, so Choir Nation, we will see JD on Friday for part two. And I want to thank you, obviously, um, my sponsors, mymusicfolders.com and also sightreadingfactory.com. Use those promo codes at checkout. Ninja is the promo code. And then join us on Facebook in the Choir Nation Facebook group. And we will see you on Friday, Choir Nation. Choir Ninja Show. Bang, bang.